I always say find a niche, like find, you know, have a point of view, have a voice that's different, like find something that's authentically you and create content around that. I think a lot of people try and force being a beauty creator or a fashion creator, like do what's right for you. And that can be across the board, whether that's foodie or business or whatever it might be. I think there's a space for that and like step into that and hear that and build content around it. Welcome back to another episode of the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. So I personally have been really interested in the whole influencer industry, and I've even interviewed a few of them on my podcast. But today I get to chat with an expert about all things influencers and partnerships. Ali Grant is the CEO of Be Social, an agency focused on influencer outreach and collaboration. So this, in this episode, we talk about the growth of the micro-influencers versus the macro, what brands are looking for for partners how to start as an influencer and what to say, how she measures her success with clients, and we discuss if it's too late to become an influencer today. I hope you enjoy this episode and you find it helpful. I'm here with the incredible Allie Grant. Allie launched Be Social in 2012 as one of the first agencies with a focus on executing influencer outreach and collaboration. Allie recognized the power of digital creators and built a business harnessing their influence. Today, Be Social is headquartered in downtown LA, specializing in influencer, media, and events for brands and digital creators. With Ali at the helm, Be Social has been named one of Inc.'s fastest growing businesses, spearheading digital forward campaigns across influencers, events, and editorial. Accolades and press include Fast Company Inc., Forbes, Huffington Post, and more. And Be Social has recently been acquired by Dolphin Entertainment, so putting the company alongside some of the entertainment's greatest, such as 42 West and The Door. So I'm really happy to be chatting with Ali today, and not only is she a kick-ass role model, but I'm also quite interested in growing my own personal brand, and I know that many people out there are looking for advice on how to grow their platform. So Ali, you grew up wanting to be a journalist, and so when did you decide that wasn't necessarily the path that you wanted to go on? Yeah. So I was like middle school, high school. I did our um, schools like broadcast every morning. I love journalism. Writing was so excited to go to university and study journalism. Um, got into like my first year, um, which was exciting. I loved it. A lot of communications, journalism, writing classes. Um, and then basically when I shifted my mindset on my focus was my first internship. So um, out of my freshman year of college, I interned at an advertising agency. Uh, they were working with like a lot of alcohol brands like Campari, some fashion retailers like BB. Um, and so I interned there for my entire summer, nine to five every single day. Um, and I realized I really liked the marketing side and working with brands. And so what I decided to do when I came back to college for my second year is to switch to a public relations focus. And that's where I felt like I could take my interest in journalism and writing and sort of apply that to the brand and marketing space. And it, it, it really was a great shift for me. And I got to kind of get, you know, both of the best worlds, best yeah, of so both you, worlds is what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you started, yeah, you started your business at 23, 24 and with like no yeah. prior management experience. So how did you learn how to grow your business as yourself? Like at that age, like I'm 23 right now and I'm still learning how yeah. to figure my own life out. So how did you just start a company? 
I know. I feel like I like started this business at such a young age and like now I'm like 23 years old. Like now I'm trying to figure out my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty ambitious, quite frankly. I just sort of thought I could do it. So I was like, I'm going to do it. Um, but I had, I guess, in professional career, I had like two employees under me that I was managing somewhat, but I had no real like management leadership courses or experience. And so when I went to go branch out on my own, I sort of thought, oh yeah, I'm going to have a business. I'm going to do um, you know, influencer and PR work and it's going to be great which was fine while I was on my own. But the minute I needed to hire my first employee is like, I had to flex this muscle I just didn't have. And it was very difficult. And I made a lot of mistakes specifically in this realm, which was sort of like the operations piece of the business that I had little to no experience in accounting, HR, employee relations, management, all of those things. Like I was a good marketer at the end of the day. And so learning to figure all of that out, it was a lot of like trial and error, learn by doing. And, you know, I finally got to sort of like a breaking point where I was like, I'm just not getting this. Like I'm having trouble growing and retaining employees and, you know, really mentoring them and keeping them within my organization, which is so important in a business. And so I really had to pull back um, and figure it out. And so I did get a consultant. I really spent a lot of energy and time reading books um, and learning from my mistakes and trying to grow and be better. I feel like I'm in a much better place now and I have a great management team below me that I really trust. Um, and so I feel like things are on the up and up in that space. But again, it's like, you know, so many things can pop up and problems and issues. And so you're sort of constantly learning. Of course. Yeah. And I'm trying to think back in 2012 and like what the whole industry was with influencers. Was that like the peak of it? And why did you decide to start this business? Like, did you find that there was a need for like an agency for that? Yeah. So um, 2012. So sort of like the word influencer wasn't actually being used as frequently. We we're sort of saying bloggers. Right. Um, and I mean, it was sort of just kind of popping off. Um, social media was really becoming a thing. And then you had people with like WordPress blogs and things like that. And so I sort of saw brands shifting dollars towards working with bloggers versus focusing, you know, money on media or editorial or PR. And so, and also putting money towards social media. So I sort of wanted to kind of combine all three of those things and create an agency that, you know, had the traditional piece in like the editorial realm, but also had a hyper focus on the influencer digital piece and sort of molded those together. And that's kind of what my vision was for Be Social. And I think the timing was really, really spot on because it was like right before the just like spike in brands, you know, pivoting dollars towards influencer spend. Mm -hmm. And how would you describe for people that don't know, like influencing influencer marketing now and where do you see it going um, mm -hmm. in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely shifted all, like year after year, like things are changing. I mean, it's much more... Like there's a lot more influencers. There's a lot more brands wanting to tap into influencers. So the industry as a whole is like still growing. Um, and I think what we're going to continue to see is like that trend going and going. And I think that more and more brands and new industries will start spending more in this space. Like fashion and beauty brands are very heavily in the influencer space. But I think there's other industries 
you know, like tech and food and hospitality and things like that, that will start spending more dollars in this space. So I think it'll continue to grow. I also think there's room for new influencers to emerge. Um, and especially with, you know, new platforms that are coming out like TikTok and Reels and things like that. It just mm-hmm. it's going to keep evolving and brands have to figure out like which platform is them and which one, which influencers are for them. So I think we still, I, I, I always get the question, like, is it ending soon? Is it I'm like, <laughs> no, no way. I think the whole influencer business is here to stay for a while. Yeah, for sure. I can agree with that. And your role consists a lot of um, educating, like not just the influencers, but the brands, like the companies as well. So what do you think is like the most popular thing that you find yourself educating others about like in the industry that you're in? Yeah, I think there's, you know, this mindset from brands that I'm going to engage an influencer and then instantly I'm going to get tons of sales and, you know, my website's going to crash, but that's not always the case. And every influencer has sort of a different purpose. And so I think before you go out and do an influencer campaign, you have to figure out what are your KPIs? Like what are the metrics and things that you want to accomplish? Um, because some influencers is more about the alignment or getting great content from them or, you know, getting good engagement on the post or growing your Instagram following. Like it's not always going to be about sales. And so I think that's sort of like the biggest learning that I typically have with brands who want to get into the space and start activating with influencers. Um, cause if it's like a post goes up and they don't immediately have tons of sales, there's sort of a letdown. So it's trying to figure out, okay, then what did this influencer bring to the table? Like what was the return? Um, kind of figuring that out. Yeah. So it's just different ways of, um, measuring success and setting expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess this depends on the influencer or the brand, but how do you usually measure, um, your success with a client? We use a handful of platforms, specifically Creator IQ um, is one that we use and Tribe Dynamics. And so we utilize the analytics that they provide um, through authenticating influencers like social accounts through that. So we're looking at, you know, true impressions, uh, earned media value, engagement on the post, you know, quality of content, things like that. So typically after an influencer campaign, we're doing a recap report with all of those, you know, KPIs listed out and sort of what the success was there. And then if it is like an e-commerce sales focus um, and we're using coupon codes or trackable links and things like that, we can look at redemption on codes or, you know, traffic to the website or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's so many people in the space right now. And like, let's say someone wants to start today, wants to build their platform off like Instagram or TikTok or whatnot. What advice would you have for on the influencer side um, when they're wanting yeah. to launch their platform? Yeah. I always say find a niche, like find, you know, have a point of view, have a voice that's different, like, you know, find something that's authentically you and create content around that. Um, I think a lot of people try and force being a beauty creator or a fashion mm-hmm. creator, like do what's right for you. And that can be across the board, like whether that's foodie or business or whatever it might be. I think there's a space for that and like step into that and hear that and, you know, build content around it. And then beyond that, I would say uh, consistency. So mm-hmm. to grow on social, you need to be posting daily whether that's on your static or your stories, like the combination of both. 
Um, and then diversify too. So don't just be on one platform, uh, have multiple mm-hmm. platforms, whether that's TikTok and Instagram and a blog or YouTube or whatever it might be. Um, I think that's super important. And also have a platform you own, you know, whether that's, I typically say like a website or a podcast or something, because if Instagram is gone tomorrow, like what, what social footprint do you have and what IP is yours at the end of the day? Yeah. Right. And let's say you're an influencer and you want to work with some companies. Is there anything that you have on your list that an influencer should definitely not say in their pitch? I think the biggest mistake is just like blind reaching out to a brand that you've never shared on your platform that you don't organically use, but you're just reaching out because you think that they might have money and might want to work with you. Um, I think brands are smart now. There's obviously a huge influx of creators. So there's a lot more interest in getting gifting and getting paid and doing campaigns. So if you're going to reach out to a brand for some sort of collaboration or introduction, you know, show examples of you using the product or sharing the product on your social feed um, and start small. Like I wouldn't go straight in trying to get money from them. Like it's a relationship and there's some give or take, you know, like you give, they give. So I think start with, you know, is there opportunity for gifting and me sharing on my platforms? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when that happens, share the analytics with the brand, like just keep the conversation going. This industry is so much built on relationships and maintaining them. Um, so you just have to like put in the time and energy. Right. And let's say you're on the other side, like what are brands now looking for to partner with influencers? I think before it used to be a lot more like the number of followers and now is it more towards engagement, quality of your content, your niche? Yeah, I think authenticity. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of the like celebrity influencer fatigue and where like the partnerships seem so forced, right? And it's like, you know, that person doesn't even use that. It's just about the dollars. And so I think brands are looking to engage with more of like micro influencers with a niche and like authentically can talk about their brand and use their brand. Um, so I'm seeing more of a trend in that. And then really with the micro influencers, you're also seeing really high engagement too. So I think that's extremely important. Um, I used to always say like quality of content was important. Like, mm-hmm. you know, make sure your feed and your content is beautiful. But I, I think that's sort of like an old school way of looking at it. I think now, it's more about raw, real, authentic content and just getting it up consistently. Um, So, and especially that's like more prevalent now with like reels and TikTok where it's just like, you know, you're shooting on your iPhone and you're getting a post up within a matter of minutes uh, where I think things used to be more, uh, have a higher production value. So I feel like that's less important now. Um, But yeah, I think there's a a trend in micro influencers and, you know, looking at high engagement. Mm -hmm. And do you think you need like a minimum amount of like followers or I know you said micro. So that what is considered Mm -hmm. like a micro and like a macro influencer, if you don't mind explaining? Yeah. So micro for us, like when we're talking about like brand gifting or events, like, I mean, you know, that can be as little as 5,000 followers. If someone has 5,000 followers that are highly engaged with their content, like Mm -hmm. that's extremely valuable to a brand. I mean, you could even go lower than that. Um, I think to start getting paid campaigns really kind of depends on your niche and, you know, what your content is about. But um, I think, you know, paid campaigns could start as low as like, you know, 15, 20,000 followers. Um, but really, again, like depends on your engagement and what your, you know, your profile is all about. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the threshold for micro and then macro we typically say is like, you know, 500 K plus. Um, and that's sort of where you see engagement sort of dip because, 
the following is just so large and, you know, it's sort of, for whatever reason, the engagement tends to dip at that sort of size following. But there's also people who are macro who have millions of followers and their engagements through the roof, like specifically, you know, typically like reality TV stars. So kind of all across the board. Right. Yeah. And are most of your clients, like what platform are they using the most? Um, Do you work with YouTubers or is it mostly like Instagram, TikTok? um, Yeah, we're about, I would say 90% Instagram focused influencers. Mm -hmm. um, And we're trying to diversify that. So we're starting to sign talent in the TikTok space. We have a handful of YouTubers. Um, I'm also really interested in the podcast space. Like this mm-hmm. is, you know, obviously up and coming, highly engaged platform. So that's sort of what our, our focus is right now. Yeah. And when you're reaching out to influencers, is it you that's reaching out to them to get to work with them or is it them? And like, what's kind of your pitch that you're giving to them? It's both. So mm-hmm. we are lucky to receive a handful of inquiries daily. Uh, with digital creators wanting representation or help or whatever it might be. Um, And so those conversations, we typically will take a call, look at their media kit, kind of determine if there's a strong fit there. Um, And then if we're going out to someone, I mean, the pitch is usually, we want to help monetize your platform and grow you and be part of your team. So you as a creator can focus on creating. Um, I think these influencers, you know, when they're very busy and kind of popping off, like there's a lot that goes into it. Like you're negotiating Mm -hmm. contracts and getting content live and it's, it's, a, it's a full-fledged business. So our pitch is, you know, let us handle that piece of it and grow it so you can really focus on the creating piece, which is the content, the video, the posting daily, engaging with your following and building your community. Mm-hmm. And have you, have you ever, I guess you're human and like disagreements happen and have you ever had like disagreement with a client and things didn't turn out and how did you kind of overcome that? Yeah, with any business, I mean, you're going to, you know, (laughs) we're in the business of Mm -hmm. dealing with people. Um, I mean, luckily, we haven't gotten into anything too crazy. But um, yeah, there's been times where we've had disagreements. Um, At the end of the day, I mean, from representing an influencer, like, you know, it's their business, it's their decisions, but we're really there to like guide them. Um, and there's certainly been times, you know, we've disagreed. Um, and also there's times when it's just like, it doesn't work out. Like it's definitely needs to be two parties that get along really well and are working Mm -hmm. hard together. I think when one party, which is like typically like if the agency is working and hustling really hard, but the creator is not creating, there's not much we can do. Um, So in instances like that, we've sort of just like parted ways. Um, But we have a, you know, a good reputation of retaining clients and keeping them for a very long time and building, you know, good, great businesses and really good relationships with them. I just wanted to pop in and say thank you to this week's sponsor. Organica is a natural wellness and beauty company from beautiful British Columbia. The company has been running for over 30 years. It's family owned and they love helping people live healthier lives. I've recently really been enjoying their products, particularly the collagen effervesce. So it's this collagen tablet mixed with vitamin C that you can just drop into your water It's very refreshing and it's really good for your hair, skin, and your nails. I really like the cranberry flavor. So definitely check out their products at Organica.com or follow them at Instagram at Organica Health. Now back to the interview. I'm curious to know, what do you do day to day? Obviously, it's changed when you first started. So what is your role now? 
I, yeah, <laughs> in the beginning, <laughs> I was like in the weeds day to day, like on accounts, like really, truly juggling top to bottom. Um, now I'm, you know, still, I will jump into things where needed. Like I'm very hands-on CEO. I, I love to work. I'm such a doer. Um, but my day-to-day focus is, um, new business. So working on, you know, potential new business opportunities, both on the brand and the talent side. Um, and then I do a lot of like thought leadership opportunities. So, you know, doing conferences, being on podcasts, doing press opportunities, um, because all of those things really help build the Be Social brand and get more awareness for what we do. Um, and I've seen like direct results, positive results from doing those types of things. Um, so that's sort of what my day to day is. And then now that we've been acquired, you know, I'm reporting into yes. our parent company and working with the other companies within our organization to come up with new concepts and ideas and continue to grow our overall revenue. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say congratulations on being acquired and how has that whole transition been for you? Yeah. It's um, so it's only been, I guess like five weeks now. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, it was a very scary process because it's like, I had built this business. I'd always been, you know, it was just my decision at the end of the day, whatever kind of route we went. So I was nervous giving that up, but at the same time, I was really excited about having more resources. And, you know, now it's like 150 employees that work within the organization. So there's much more, you know, collaboration and things like that. And honestly, the process has been so easy and simple and just seamless. And, you know, the biggest thing for me with being acquired was being able to retain, you know, be social as be social and run the company as is and, you know, keep my team and allow us to be, us. And I think in a lot of acquisition, you know, opportunities, that's not the case. Like typically you're being acquired and then your team is sort of, you know, let go or whatever it might be. And so it was really important that I got to retain that. And that's been the case in this situation. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's been, it's been a really good process so far. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear. And, um, I'm just wondering what are some of your favorite things or some of the best moments that you've had with Be Social and what are some things that you're not, like some tasks that you're not like a huge fan of doing? Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say like a really exciting moment for me is like when we get a really cool new inquiry, whether it's on the talent or the brand side of like, mm-hmm. you know, say like a really cool brand that wants to work with us. I mean, those moments to me are so exciting and like working through like the pitch deck and pitching them and meeting them and like hearing their story and really seeing how we can work together is really exciting to me. One of my like favorite moments was when Disney reached out to us and they were launching uh, Minnie Mouse's Instagram and they wanted us to come up with the content and influencer strategy behind it. And that was such like a crazy moment for me because like I grew up watching Disney and loving Minnie Mouse and like here I was starting this business a couple of years in being able to even just pitch them and let alone we actually won the business, which was such an exciting time for me. Um, so moments like that are really exciting. Um, I think the moments I don't like, I mean, anything truly operational, like accounting and things like that. I'm just like, please no. <laughs> We're going through 2021 budgeting right now. And like, 
that makes me just like want to cry because I just like I'm not a numbers person. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm more, you know, on the creative side. So moments like that just sort of make my my mind blow. <laughs> no, I agree. Anything with numbers and math, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've noticed on Instagram, you have a decent following yourself. So would you consider yourself an influencer? And do you do partnerships um, like on your own personal page as well? I have before. So mm-hmm. I don't think I'm an influencer. I like to say I'm an influencer of influencers, but I'm not <laughs> an influencer myself. I do think though, and I sort of should own what I tell other brand owners or any entrepreneur is like, if you have a business, you also need to build your own personal brand because you are your number one sales channel supporter and marketing marketer. Right. So I think I, I would say like in the last like year or two is sort of when that clicked for me. And I was like, I do need to build my personal brand. I may need to focus on that because the more I build awareness around me, Allie Grant, the owner of Be Social, like the more people will be interested in Be Social and our services. And like I said before, like being on podcasts and doing those things have direct positive results in the growth of the company. And I think that works across any industry. If you have a beauty brand or a fitness brand, like build your own personal brand because that can help support whatever you're working on. Um, And then in terms of partnerships, I have done a handful of partnerships in the past, um, more like on a business side of things. I partnered with um, ZipRecruiter to talk about employee recruiting and using that platform, which I really love. Um, So things like that I'm I'm interested in. um, And I'm sort of working um, behind the scenes to make my content more like educational and like more, you know, allowing new entrepreneurs to, you know, gather information and tips and tricks. And so I'm trying to work through what that looks like on my social, but that's the goal. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I just have a last question. Um, if you could go back and talk to 23 year old Allie, but when you first started be social, um, what would, what piece of advice would you give her? Mm-hmm. I think I have a really big problem with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I'm much better with it now. And I think what I was so concerned with was being the youngest in the room, the only woman in the room. And I think I wish I just didn't think that way because now I'm, you know, I'm 32. And when I was 23 and I saw a 32 year old in the room, I'd be so intimidated and be like, she must Mm -hmm. know everything. And she's so (laughs) experienced. But like now I'm 32, like, I don't know anything either. So it's just like, (laughs) you have to take a step back and sort of everyone's kind of learning by doing and no one really has all the answers. And I think if you think about that more, it makes situations less scary. And I wish I we should have done that more. For sure. Yeah. I feel the imposter syndrome as well. Like I always think because I'm too young, but it all, mm-hmm. and honestly being that young, you offer a fresh perspective and I guess you yes. think about it that way, exactly. but no, I totally, I totally know what you mean. And it's really refreshing to hear that you feel lost sometimes too. And you've, you're a very successful um, entrepreneur. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I just want to thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm a huge fan of yours and your company, and I can't wait to see um, where it'll be in the next few years since it's been acquired um, by Dolphin Entertainment. So um, congratulations to you. And thank you again for chatting. Yeah, thank you. This was so fun. Thanks for having me on. 
Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all the support. Um, Please subscribe if you like listening to me ramble on and on. And follow me on Instagram at wellnowatpodcast. I'll see you next week.